0: Thank you for tuning in to the Lakewood Grace Podcast. We're a church in Lakewood, Washington, and whether you're listening from around the corner or from around the world, we're glad that you're here. We hope this sermon equipped you to be the Christian the world needs today. If you'd like to learn more about us, head on over to lakewoodgrace.com. And now, for this week's sermon.
1: The Bible passage for today's sermon is from Mark 6, verses 1 through 13, on page 1560 in your Red Pew Bible or on the screen. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given him that he do- even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, only in his own hometown among his relatives and his own house is a prophet without honor. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed, (coughs) excuse me, at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Calling the twelve to him, he sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra tunic. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, do you all remember?
0: a famous Olympic skier named Peekaboo Street. That was a while back, remember her? Well, she's not just an athlete. She's now a nurse working at an intensive care unit at, her, at a large hospital in a, city, a large city in the United States. But here's something interesting about Peekaboo. Uh, she's not allowed to answer the phone at the hospital. It caused way too much confusion when she would answer the phone and say, Peekaboo, I see you. Yeah, so there's that. So, hey, um, great to see you today. You are in the right place. We love having you here and we love worshiping with you. And this entire series, as we're going through Mark, is Jesus not as we imagine Jesus to be, but Jesus as he is in scripture. And here's the reason why that's so important. Listen, the Jesus that we imagine, uh, or, you know, the phrase, I hear this phrase and it just makes me cringe. My Jesus. Here's, my Jesus would never do that. My Jesus would never say that. My Jesus would always be for me. And here's the thing about my Jesus, our, our imaginations, our, our conjuring up of who Jesus is, is, not only is that a bad idea, but the reason why that's so heinous is that my Jesus, this our conjured-up Jesus, will ultimately kill you. Because the Jesus that we conjure up, that we make up, cannot save us because that Jesus will leave us in our sin. So this entire series, what we've been saying is, hey, since Jesus is at the center of this thing called Christianity, shouldn't we get to know the Jesus of Scripture? Because he's the one who saves. Now, by now, any reasonable person Reading the gospel according to Mark would begin to see that Jesus is more than an extraordinary rabbi, more than just a dynamic, charismatic speaker, more than just a mere healer. Because by now, in chapter 6, Jesus heals diseases, Jesus cleanses lepers. He gives sight to the blind. He casts out demons. He commands nature and nature listens and obeys. He revives the dead. Who does that? Jesus goes to his hometown for the first time since he launches on his public ministry. It's been about a year since he's been home. And when the Sabbath came, He taught in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. So, so far, so good. Jesus goes back to his hometown. He begins preaching in the synagogues and teaching, and they're amazed, just like everywhere else he's been at his wisdom and his teaching. And then things take a turn. Where did this, listen, listen to the text, where did this man get these things? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? I want you to note, listen to the questions. They don't Doubt his wisdom. They do not disregard the miracles. They know it's happened. And yet they still take offense at him. And in fact, the word there for offense in the Greek. Is scandalizzo. They were scandalized by his teaching. They were scandalized by Jesus. Listen to these questions. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this? Mary's son. Isn't this the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters with us? And Jesus, look at the text again. Jesus, it's not that Jesus would not, Jesus could not. Golly, that never happens in Scripture. Jesus could not do any miracles there. And I think it's, it's kind of funny. Mark says, okay, Jesus could not do any miracles except he lays on his hands on a few peop, sick people and heals them. So apparently healing's not a miracle, right? <laughs> so, but it's astonishing that Mark would say, Jesus could not do any miracles there. And then that, that pericope, that story right there, ends with the phrase, and Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith. So why were Jesus' hometown folks so scandalized, so offended by Jesus? What was so scandalous? I mean, what's so bad about healing? What's so bad about wisdom? What's so bad about raising the dead? What's so bad about casting out demons? Aren't these good things? What is there to be scandalized about? And what I find interesting is they don't discredit or doubt Jesus' wisdom, nor his miracles. They still reject him anyway. Hey, so pause with me for a second. Uh, You know, I hear a lot lot when people say things something like, you know, if Jesus would just show, I would totally be all for Jesus. I would be all in on this God thing if God would just show himself to me, right? Just like he did back then, 2,000 years ago. If God would just do Jesus things right before my eyes, I would believe him. No, you wouldn't. Most rejected that Jesus back in the day. It's not just his miracles and his teaching that offends and scandalizes the hometown crowd. Things get a whole lot more personal. Their questions turn from not the public figure now into the private person. Hey, isn't this the carpenter. Isn't this the menial handyman guy we have in Nazareth that goes around fixing toilets and fixing doors and such? Isn't that the, because there was another word for a workman, who an artisan. The word here is a laborer. Isn't this that common handyman guy? Hey, isn't this Mary's son? Don't we know His other brothers, James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, his sisters, we all know the sisters. We know this kid. What's he trying to pull here? And they're saying, look, we saw this kid grow up. Remember, he's the kid that kept trying to sneak out of Sunday school through the windows. (laughs) We know this kid. And here's what's remarkable, is that Jesus is standing right before them, the Jesus of scripture, Jesus, the Son of God. They know and recognize the wisdom. This isn't earthly. We've never heard anyone teach like this before. This is otherworldly, this wisdom. They've seen the miracles. Who raises the dead? yet they still reject him. Why? Listen, the people of his hometown rejected the Jesus of Scripture because they were convinced they knew Jesus better than Jesus. My Jesus would never do that. My Jesus would never be against that. My Jesus would never say that. And because the Jesus that was standing before them was inconsistent with the Jesus of their imagination, they choose the Jesus of their imagination and say to the Jesus in the flesh, I reject you. The Jesus of our imaginations is one of the biggest hindrances. It's knowing Jesus of the scriptures. When you've already made up your mind that you know who Jesus is, even if Jesus himself were standing right before you, you would still reject that Jesus just as his hometown crowd rejected Jesus. Because it's impossible to hear God when you've already made up your mind what you want your God to say. It's impossible to receive Jesus as he is when you've already made up your mind who your Jesus is. In almost every instance of Jesus' rejection in Scripture, it's because the people were unwilling to give up their imaginations of who the Messiah ought to be that they reject the Jesus of Scripture because, you see, the Jesus of our imaginations and the Jesus of Scripture, the Jesus of Scripture just doesn't cut it. My Jesus would never demand my submission. My Jesus would never reprimand me. My Jesus would never hurt me. My Jesus would never tell me sin is wrong. My Jesus would be always for me, always with me. And so when my Jesus conflicts with the Jesus who demands holiness, righteousness, who demands our all and our submission, I reject that Jesus because my Jesus would never do that. And my Jesus is a whole lot more comfortable than you, Jesus. So leave. Because sometimes it's easier to remain in your blindness, illness, deformities, darkness, and unbelief than it is to surrender. Because of our egos, it's too painful to admit, I'm wrong. I was wrong about who I thought Jesus is because Jesus, you're saying and you're showing me right before my eyes, the miracles, the resurrection, the cross, the the empty tomb. So I, I was wrong. And it's too painful to admit I've been wrong all these years. And there are always those who would rather remain sick and dying than face and embrace the challenge of a new way of living. Because in order to preserve our egos and our pride, it's easier believing in lies than accepting the truth that we're the ones who have to change. So here's the second big takeaway for us today. There are times where in order to learn the truth with a capital T, listen, church, there are times when you need to unlearn lies in order to learn truth. You have to unlearn all the stuff that we've filled our minds with of who we think Jesus is and who we think Jesus ought to be. We have to unlearn Lies in order to learn the truth with a capital T. And because of their stubbornness, the text says Jesus could not do any miracles there. And that's the only time you will see in scripture where you see the words Jesus could not, cannot, because you see, God is omnipotent. God is all-powerful. That's the only time those two concepts come together. God, Jesus, cannot. But here's what it's referring to. If you believe that Jesus can, you're right. If you believe that Jesus cannot, you are right. It's not about miracles. It's not about wisdom. It's not about that he rose from the dead. If you've already convinced yourself in your mind, hey, Jesus can't do that, Jesus wouldn't do that, you're right. Your Jesus would never do that. But if you believe that Jesus can, you're right. Because you see, God, although omnipotent, will not coerce belief. He will never force you to get well. He will never force salvation down your throat. He will always honor your decision. You choose to reject the Son of God, eternal life, God will honor your decision. If you think Jesus can, you're right. He will save you. If you think Jesus can't, you're right. He will honor your rejection. You know, doubt is different than obstinance. Lots of Christians doubt. God, I don't understand this pain. I don't understand this season of suffering. I don't understand this cancer. I don't understand this divorce. I don't understand. Lord, how could you take my child before me? I don't understand. Doubt is okay. Doubt is perfectly fine. Obstinence is the refusal to believe. Doubt is having trouble believing. God, how can, how can this be good? How can the death of my wife be good? How can the death of my child be good? I don't understand, because you promise all things work together for the good. I don't understand how this is good. And you can have trouble believing. That's doubt, and that's OK. Obstinence says, you suck, God. How could you put this cancer on me? How could you make this death happen to me? I refuse to believe that you are good. That's obstinance. That's different. And Jesus seeing the obstinance of the Nazarenes who refused to believe the Jesus standing before them because they were convinced they knew Jesus better than Jesus did. At that obstinance, what's what's really interesting is that Mark uses this, this word. He, he Jesus is amazed at their unbelief. Same word where Jesus is amazed at the faith of the centurion. Jesus is amazed at the faith of the Samaritan woman. Jesus is amazed at the faith of the woman who was bleeding for 12 years, who believed that if she would just touch his cloak, she would be saved. Jesus was amazed at their faith. And the same word, Jesus looks at his hometown crowd, and he is amazed at their unbelief, at their obstinance. This would be the last time Jesus teaches in the synagogue until he dies. From now on, Jesus preaches in the open. And then we end with the story of Jesus sending out his disciples for the first time uh, on their first mission trip. And by now, the object lesson is, hey, guys, stay on message. You will be rejected, but it's not the end of the world. My hometown crowd rejected me. Remember the seed, the parable of the seeds? Three out of the four soils will reject you. Many will reject you, but you still proclaim the kingdom of Jesus Christ because Jesus is still the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way to salvation apart from Christ. So you stay on message, church, even if they reject you. You stay on message because there is hope in no one else apart from Jesus and Jesus alone. You stay on message. People will reject you. It's okay. They rejected me. The invitation to Jesus isn't to receive Jesus if it's convenient for you, if it suits you. The invitation is here's God who created the heavens and the earth. He loved you so much, he couldn't imagine eternity apart from you. So he made a way. His name is Jesus Christ. Submit. Obey. Receive. And you can only answer, I surrender or I reject. And God will honor your decision. So, friends, if you ever get to the point where you think you know Jesus better than Jesus, you're in trouble. What we do is when we encounter the Jesus of this good book, we surrender. We submit. We obey. Let us pray. Hey God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to gather, to worship. Thank you, God, for your goodness. Thank you for your son. Friends, if there are any of you in this space and those watching online, and we're so glad you do that weekly with us, and we're so glad you're listening on the podcast. If you've never surrendered to Jesus Christ, that's how you begin, friends. You begin by saying, I accept the Jesus of Scripture. I submit and surrender to your truth. And I receive you as Lord and Savior. Forgive my sins. I choose to follow you. If you've said that prayer, my friends, welcome to the family of faith. You belong here. Hey, God, for the rest of us who have already made that commitment, forgive us for the times, Lord, where we think we know better than you who you are. How crazy, how dumb is that? So, God, whenever our belief of who you are and who you proclaim to be in Scripture are at odds, may this church surrender, submit, our lives so that we can begin receiving your truth. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your son. Thank you for your church. Thank you for your word. And it, it's in his name we pray and all of God. Thank you again for listening to the Lakewood Grace Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe and then head on over to LakewoodGrace.com slash connect where you'll find a link to contact us or you can fill out a communication card. Have a wonderful week. God bless.